But I'm, I'm going to tell a story now, then I'm going to decide after whether or not it should feature in the final cut. <laughs> okay, you're going to decide. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lib Dem podcast. Now we have a very special guest. He is not only the star of party political broadcasts, he is not only in the Queen's Honours list, but he is, of course, a friend of the pod. He is part of the podcast family. It is Josh Babarindi. Hi, Josh. Hey, John. What an introduction. Yeah, I thought, well, I thought it's not often we get uh, knights, of the, knight, knights of the Realm. I've upgraded you there. But you're you finally a rival to Richard Kemp. Uh, um, he always goes about how his New Year's honours uh, uh, accolades he's got. But now we've got you as well. So it evens it out. Yeah, just Commander Kemp. Yeah, oh, Commander oh. Kemp, that's right. So, Josh, for all those that don't know, Josh has been selected um, to be our candidate in Eastbourne. Now, we're going to talk a bit in this episode about, about Josh, about Eastbourne, some of the challenges, because Eastbourne is one of those places. If Lib Dems are going to have a good night whenever the next general election comes, then Josh is going to be one of our new MPs. And that's we're going to talk to him about how he deals with that pressure how how life is being at the moment as a target candidate. But um, firstly, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. I suppose, well, let's start right, right at basics, because as much as you might not be aware of this, Josh, some people might not know where Eastbourne is. So can you describe just where in Britain is Eastbourne? Well, we're going to put that right, John. <laughs> Eastbourne is the sunniest town in the UK. Um, and and that, that's true. It gets more hours of sunlight than anywhere else. Uh, in the country it's been measured um, and we are in between Brighton and Hastings so southeast coast yeah so if you think of Brighton is directly south from London you're a little bit you're a little bit to the east of Brighton is kind of that's where I kind of when I had to look it up because you know it's not the north I had to look up these things Um, but so we've established where Eastbourne is now I suppose the next big question is who is Josh Babarindi who are you? What, well, give, give everyone a flavour of who you are. Who is this bloke? Well, <laughs> I am a down-to-earth Eastbourne boy with an out-of-this-world determination to give back to the town that made me, me. Um, I'm an Eastbourne boy born and bred, um, and it was you know local teachers who believed in me. It was scout leaders who challenged me. It was business leaders who took a punt on me, giving me my first job. Um, it was our community who kind of lifted me. And, you know, I had some tricky patches in my childhood, John. And I went on to work with in, in my career, some of the folks who've had similar experiences and, you know, things have kind of veered off course uh, for some of them. But I was lucky in that I had this town um, to support me to go as far as my talents, motivation, spirit, um, was able to take me. And um, I noticed in your your announcement post you put on Facebook, you talk about, you know, your family that inspired you and you, the teachers that kind of made you who you are. You, you, you really feel like you want to give something back to Eastbourne is what I'm getting from, from your post. It, it's a, a complete love of the town. Yeah, like, I mean, I find it really hard to describe and... You know, people make fun of it, which I'm fine with because it is it is kind of odd in a way. I, I can't quite place it. Um, but this town is extraordinary. Um, magical stuff happens here. There's nowhere else I've been in the world that feels like and is like Eastbourne. Um, folks look out for each other uh, in a way like no other. Um, folks are proud um, of someone, you know, from Eastbourne who's done good. Um, and people will, you know, give their all to help a fellow Eastbournean uh, through a tricky time or to help them achieve what they want to achieve. Um, and I really want to be part of that tradition. I've been determined to be part of it for a very long time and doing my bit in all different kinds of ways across town um, to do just that. Um, and politics, I think, is a great conduit for being able um, to take that to, to the next level. So I love my town. Everyone should come down here. 
And I, you've invited me probably about a dozen times every time we speak. So I, I, I promise I am going to come down and help you. I, yeah. I do. That is an absolute guarantee. And if I can make it from the Northwest, then so can other people. But you were talking about your your early life, et cetera. So I take it politics, was that part of your early life? No. no. Yeah. Well, it depends how early we're, we're, we're talking. Some would say I'm still in my early life at 28. But I, um, no. I wasn't, you know, my family's not a political family at all. Um, in fact, my dad earlier today, he sent me um, a WhatsApp meme um, about Boris Johnson. And I was shocked because it is the first time ever that he's ever sent anything remotely political to me, uh, apart from, you know, wishing me good luck on election day or, or whatever. So, yeah, we're not a political family, a party political family. Um, we didn't really talk about um, politics at the dinner table. In fact, for a lot of my childhood, we didn't have a dinner table. We ate on our laps in front of the telly, and that was great. Um, but I got involved in um, kind of school councils and stuff when I was uh, a kid. And school for me was really important when I was growing up because home life wasn't easy. Um, and, you know, you've got lovely mum, lovely dad, um, but some other family members weren't so great. And uh, school was really where I invested um, a lot of, um, you know, my effort. It's where I felt safe um, and teachers really celebrated me. Uh, and so I got stuck in. Um, and was school, the kind of you said about school council, was that your first kind of involvement in, in politics, rather not, not party politics probably at that age, but actually getting involved in, in, in debate and engagement, right and wrong, those sorts of debates? Yeah, I mean, year five was the height of my academic career, John. Year five, eight, year five. So eight was, or thereabouts. How? Yeah, I was going to say, how old was that? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to work out the years now. Yeah, yeah, year five. I had an amazing teacher. Um, I had loads of great teachers just across my time at, at the schools I went to. I was so lucky. Um, there's one in particular. Um, her name uh, was Miss Pet or Mrs Lynch uh, when when she got married. Um, and I don't know what it was, but I just felt like she saw something in me. She really believed in me. And, you know, I just bent over backwards in kind of all my schoolwork and stuff to really, you know, impress her, basically. And um, she just egged me on to, you know, do all the things that I wanted to do, including uh, the council. And that was, yeah, my first taste of standing for an election um of you know trying to identify what the issues were and then doing something about it and then telling people that I was doing things about it I learned the Lib Dem pavement politics gospel uh when I was uh when I was still a kid it's probably a harsh question to ask do you remember what your platform was on <laughs> that time what what was Josh Burundi's uh kind of manifesto pledges back then I think it was more golden time more golden time. I actually tell you a big manifesto pledge when I was running for uh, head boy uh, when I was at secondary school um, was to bring back non-uniform days, right? Oh. So, you know, we'd gone the whole five years um, without having one. Um, and loads of people were really miffed about that. And I had a good relationship with some of the kind of senior teachers and I thought I could probably do something about it. So that was my platform. Um, I stood, I won. I, was, uh, I wasn't the shoe-in candidate, by the way, either. You know, there was someone who'd served on all the councils for years and years. Uh, I, I overturned this, this, um, this safe seat. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I then went to the head teacher's office and said, in far less articulate terms, I said, I've, you know, I've got a mandate now. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've got to have a non-uniform day. And after some negotiation, got one. I wrote a letter to every kid in the school and their parents saying, on this day, wear your own clothes, bring in some cash for charity. And then came into school on that day in my own clothes at lunchtime, went onto the field. And everyone was just having such a great time, um, you know, just being them. Um, having chosen what they wanted to wear that that day, I mean, it was you know 
a kind of um, a liberal spark for me, that, uh, but also um, a realisation about how politics essentially, um, when um, played rightly, you know, can empower people to well, be fulfilled, quite frankly, or, or, or more fulfilled. And so I kind of got the bug then and uh, carried on at it. So well, you could have that, a record of action, a promise of more, even back then. <laughs> yeah, but we only had one non-uniform day that year. I couldn't get more. Couldn't well, get. you know, but from none to one, it's that first step that counts. <laughs> not, not too bad. It makes for a good bar chart. Makes it does. Um, and then when, when I got to um, college, did the same thing. I was president of the College Student Union. And instead of non-uniform days, it, it was parties. Um, which happened, they were great. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterains.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. So when did when did the kind of party politics come into it? Because, I mean, I didn't get involved in politics till after uni. I was too busy having fun and whatever else. But I kind of, I always knew I was a liberal. I just didn't do it. But obviously student politics tends to be dominated by either Labour or even left of Labour. So when did the, when did the liberalism come into the equation? Yeah, so I... Well, I'm, I'm going to tell a story now, and then I'm going to decide after whether or not it should feature in the final cut. But... <laughs> okay, you're going to decide. <laughs> <laughs> so, I um, when when I was at uh, college, I was, I was, one of my A levels I was doing was politics, and um, a few mates of mine. Um, we went over to the University of Sussex, one of our local unis. Um, for an open day and um, that day happened to be well, it was during freshers week and there were loads of freshers fair stalls and stuff around um, and you know we spotted a conservative one and we thought well there's no way that we're going to go and talk to those folks um, but then um, we all knew we were kind of on the center left um, and so we're looking for a labor stall and we couldn't find one mm. um, because Labour are nowhere down here. And that's been the case for a very long time. Labour can't win here, Jock. Absolutely. Uh, and um, we found a Lib Dem stall. And uh, I didn't really know much about the Lib Dems at the time. Um, and they, they had some really cool beer mats on the stall. And I asked for a beer mat to take away. And they wouldn't let me have one unless I joined. So my mate paid for me <laughs> to join the party. Um, and then I started getting... <laughs> so I'm just chuckling away. So you know, I joined because of the Iraq war and ID cards. You joined for a beer mat. <laughs> Is that how it works? <laughs> I joined because of the beer mat. Uh, and then I started getting lots of emails through. This was in 2009, right? So I was about 15, 16. Um got lots of emails through and one of them said that Nick Clegg was going to be coming to Eastbourne to do a kind of town hall debate and um, he came and I went along with that same group of mates uh, as an you know, interesting event uh, but there was a man sat behind us who was almost heckling xenophobic you know comments and things um, which you know just didn't sit right with us so when the event ended, my mates and I had it out with this guy. And as the town hall uh, was emptying, um, it was just kind of us that were left in there. And at that point, then parliamentary candidate Stephen Lloyd 
um, comes in. I'd met him once or twice before and he said, oh, you're Josh, aren't you? Good to see you. Come on now. Let's break up this argument. Um, the xenophobic guy left and uh, Stephen said, if you want to do something about that kind of rhetoric, then come and campaign for me. So he gave me a card and I was roped in then to delivering leaflets and knocking on doors and speaking at the adoption rally and, you know, anything and everything is part of the campaign. Um, then he won. The Tories only lost two seats in the 2010 general election. One of them was in Eastbourne. And uh, that was that. That's how I got involved. And I decided, you know, well, it's very clear to me, actually, as I got to know the party um, even more and even better, um, that I was indeed a liberal all along. And that story that I told about, you know, the school uniform stuff um, kind of is, is, is testament to that, that liberalism. And also what's kind of really important to me and, you know, what, what makes me a liberal more than anything else is um, I'm really frustrated um, at the role that luck plays in shaping people's, you know, respective courses and, and quality of life, which is not fair. Um, and, you know, I reflect on my own experience growing up. Yes, I had some tricky patches, but I was lucky to have grown up in such a supportive town um, with a supportive family, with a supportive community. Other folks, through no fault of their own, um, are born into tricky circumstances where they don't have that, and that is not fair. Um, and what is important to me about liberalism is, well, fighting for that society where it doesn't matter, um, where people can do what they want to do. People have the security um, to live the life in the way that they choose to. And that's why I stayed in the party. That's why I've been a member ever since for the last decade and a bit. Because our argument is that it's sometimes thrown around, well, you know, people can beat the odds. People are incredible. They beat their odds. But our argument is we want to lessen those odds for everyone. Yeah. It, 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 shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a one in a hundred chance that someone from a certain school goes off to university. It should be they should have an opportunity and we should give them as many opportunities as we can. Totally agree. I mean, I mean, it's great that we celebrate, you know, those who um, break out of tricky circumstances. But well, we need to focus on trying to just get rid of the tricky circumstances altogether, not not glorify them. So you've talked about Stephen Lloyd, and I suppose we should now talk about the seat. Actually, the the, the politics of the seat. We're gonna we'll talk more about like how you're coping with being a target candidate. But so Eastbourne, um, like I said, we were one in 2010. Um, even before that, for, for about 20 odd years since I think I'm just gonna go back. Let me just check exactly what it was in 1997. So we were only 2000. Sorry, big pardon. 1990 was where it all changed. Yes, that's uh, right. Well, we got a majority then of four and a half thousand in 1990. But since that point, but it's always been taken, it's been very close between us and the Tories. A couple of thousand here, a couple of hundred there. For basically 30 years, Lib Dems and Tories have been to and froing in this seat. So is that an exciting prospect? Is that kind of thing, right, right I'm, I know I've got my work cut out. What does that, what does that say to you? Well, it's definitely exciting because this is totally winnable. Um, not just owing to the size of the majority, the small size of the current majority and, you know, small size of the kind of historic one over the last 20, 30 years, um, but also um, because Folks in Eastbourne know um, that they deserve and want better. Mm -hmm. uh, in the last, uh, well, in 2010 and then in 2017, Eastbourne voted for Stephen Lloyd, who I mean, you go out on the street now and ask people about Stephen and they will say that he was extremely hardworking. He was around everywhere. So many people are gutted uh, that he lost. When he lost the first time in 2015, um, the town came together to try to crowdfund um, some cash so that he would stand again. Um, you know, there was a thank you party for him that was kind of quite spontaneously thrown, you know, really, really um, loved. Um, and with our current MP, um, who's been our MP 
this is now the second term, broken term, um, has only won on the basis of national Tory popularity. Um, only won in uh, 2015 because, well, the Liberal Democrats nationally were punished for coalition government um, and only won in 2019 um, because of Brexit. And I knocked on hundreds of doors in Eastbourne during the last election. And folks said, look, Lib Dems, you work really hard locally. We'll vote for you next time, but we've just got to get Brexit done. Um, and that's what happened. And so with Brexit out the way as a major political decider, if you like, but still a big political issue for the next election, with that, um, you know, reduced uh, in, uh, in size, um, I think we've got a really, really exciting opportunity uh, to win this seat back. Because for those listeners and watchers who don't know, obviously it was a slightly kind of controversial time uh, regarding uh, Stephen Lloyd. Obviously, um, he was a bit like Norman Lamb in terms of believe that, you know, the the the, the rerun of the referendum or, however, or, or the people's vote or however you want to call it and, and decided that actually... He, he actually lost the whip for a little bit. And so I do want, and so all these things kind of came in to make Eastbourne a bit more of a challenge. Now, what's interesting is how, how we deal with that. I mean, obviously, 2019, the Tories got a huge boost on it because they were talking about the promise of Brexit rather than re the reality of what's happening now, uh, which is a completely different sell from them on the ground. So even areas, I mean, I don't know how Eastbourne voted in the referendum. Do you know those figures to hand? Uh, Eastbourne voted it was like 57 or 58 percent leave. Yeah, yeah, but we, we're seeing that we're seeing that right now in North Shropshire. By the time this comes out, North Shropshire might have already uh finished, but actually, we're seeing even leave areas now. It is not the key area. The fact that Lib Dems are challenging so strongly in North Shropshire, which was a 64 percent leave area, confirms what you were saying about it how how it the lesson it's lessened its effect probably on the on politics at the moment. But I want to go on a little bit about the setup on because obviously you're now elected, so this is this was very exciting. So you obviously got on the council as well. So I understand in Eastborough, Eastbourne, sorry, Borough Council, you've got eighteen Lib Dems, nine Tories, no Labour, no one else. So you were right saying it is Lib Dem or Tory here, and that kind of just showed. And how, what was that like? What was it like getting elected? What's it like being in a council where you guys are in control? It's extraordinary, the kind of fortress that we've built in Eastbourne um, that you know, the council uh, represents in terms of our political group. Um, yeah, 18 Lib Dem councillors. Uh, the Lib Dems have held the council since 2007. Um, and, uh, you know, we're known as a, an innovative council experimenting with, uh, with, with new ideas. Uh, we've got some great people uh, on the council who I'm really, really excited about. Some who've served for quite some time, some who are more newly elected. Um, and yeah, we've got a really, really uh, strong team. Um, and that is a godsend for me as a, a parliamentary candidate to be able to kind of build um, on, that, on that great record. Um, and for me as a councillor, um, it's really exciting. So I'm the newest uh, our joint newest councillor. I was elected in a by-election earlier this year, um, and there was a Conservative elected uh, in, in a by-election as well. Um, it's awesome to be able to, you know, finally channel my kind of spirit for getting things done into actually getting things done, having the power uh, to get uh, things done and having the influence. Um, you know, what kind of really surprised me was... Um, a couple of days after I was elected, or a big issue in my ward and across the town at the time was uh, that there was a particular um, like internet fibre company digging up the roads, digging up the pavement and not putting them back in the same condition. Um, and I said, I'd, I'd do something about this. Um, I got elected uh, and I kind of just got a bit frustrated on my Facebook page. And I say, you know, look at the mess that's been left here. Um, next week, um, you know, when it's Monday, I will make contact with the companies and do something about it. 
And then a local kind of small tabloid picked it up and then said, you know, new councillor Josh slams internet company. And then the company calls me uh, <laughs> and says, oh, well, we're really sorry, you know, councillor, we're going to be putting this right. Um, and I said, great, well, you can come and meet me and then we can put this right. And within four days of being elected, and I've come to a, an agreement with this company for um, kind of different things that they were going to rectify. So it's great um, to be able to be in a position um, to, to wield more influence for my ward and for our town. And I guess that's the fundamental purpose of, you know, putting myself forward as, as the parliamentary candidate to be able to do more of that, but uh, bigger uh, and better across the whole constituency of Eastbourne and Willingdon. Willingdon is an important part of the constituency too. Um, so it's a little village that just sits outside of Eastbourne. Um, I used to live there, um, wonderful place. Um, the Boundary uh, Commission proposals um, seek to move Willingdon out of the constituency. Um, but what's really important to me is that we make sure it doesn't get left behind. Um, and so until anyone tells me otherwise, uh, Wellington is firmly part of the Eastbourne constituency and proudly so. So the current MP is Caroline Anstel. Now she has stood down. She was a councillor. She's stood down. So what, 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 I mean, I've seen on some of your Facebook posts about some of her things, particularly around the, the corruption going Patterson vote, et cetera. So what, what is she like? Is she very much a party loyalist? What What is it? Because obviously she's she's had defeat and come back. So she's not someone that's just a flash in the pan. But what's she like as an opponent? So my first interaction with Caroline Ansel was in those non-uniform school days. And the interaction um, was when she was my supply teacher. <laughs> oh <my>. Wow, okay. <laughs> Go way back. We go way back. Um, now, in terms of the, you know, the dynamic, um, I mean, I'll be very honest, the, the town isn't massively fond um, of our current MP. Um, and uh, folks I speak to when knocking on doors or whatever else it may be, um, well, often won't know who the MP is. Um, and folks who do know um, who the MP is will remark about um, invisibility. Or someone said the other day that our MP started self-isolating before self-isolation was a thing, um, was in lockdown since the election. You know, this is, this is what people are actually saying. Um, and, you know, that doesn't bode... Well, um, our town deserves better uh, than that. Um, and, you know, our MPs had big shoes to fill um, in, in, in Stephen Lloyd, who was out and about everywhere. Everyone knew someone helped by Stephen. Um, and um, you could bet um, that if you or someone you knew found yourself in a really difficult position, that Stephen would just do everything possible um, to help. Um, and time and again, um, people have reported to me that that's just not the case. Um, and I don't feel that we have an, an accessible MP. In terms of the party loyalist stuff, um, I'm afraid you've only got to look at, you know, voting record for like some fundamental things like, you know, the Owen Patterson vote. A bunch of Tory MPs refused to back that but our MP walked through the lobbies with Boris Johnson and the rest to try to meddle with the anti-corruption rules to get their mate off the hook. Uh, breaking manifesto pledges uh, over social care, breaking manifesto pledges over triple lock pensions. And the list goes on. Um, and folks in Eastbourne and Wellington are fed up. They really, really are. Um, I suppose when they've had, you know, we don't want to say the hard working, you know, you know, Lib Dems to get elected, we have to work our absolute socks off. We are, and you were saying about Stephen Lloyd being Mr. Eastbourne, etc. We, we we have to do that because we don't get any gimme rides. Whereas, yeah. and the contrast between what you're saying about her and what you're saying about Stephen couldn't be starker. Mm. 
Yeah, and people recognise that. And it's really sad. It's really sad for our town. Um, you know, I want us to have an MP who we can be proud of. Um, I want to be uh, that MP who the town um, is proud of for the work um, that is done locally, you know, to support people, whatever their background and whatever position uh, they might be in. And it's just so sad to, you know, knock on people's doors and for people to feel such a sense of, you know, disdain or disinterest or, you know, that's not how it should be. Um, we need someone who's dynamic, um, innovative, who will roll up their sleeves. Um, and, you know, I'd die in a ditch uh, for Eastbourne. Um, so, uh, well, that kind of brings us perfectly into the into the constituency, into Eastbourne. So what, what makes, what are the best things about Eastbourne? What makes the constituency so good? You've talked about the people, but give us a flavour of what, it, what the best things are about Eastbourne. So if you step out the train station, uh, in Eastbourne and walk up the high street, it will take you all the way to the seafront. And, you know, as someone who lives here, if you walk up uh, that high street, you'll, you'll see people you know. Um, and you'll have a chat in the street, uh, catch up about whatever it might be. Um, and what's lovely about it as well is that you're often only one or two degrees of separation away from anybody. Um, you know, everyone knows everyone who knows everyone. Um, and, well, if you've got skeletons in your closet and things you want to keep private, then maybe Eastbourne isn't the town. Um, for you. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm very interested because obviously you've had, a, I mean, you've you mentioned how you've got into politics, your politics early, but you've had a very quick rise into the, the front ranks. Like I said, I made a joke at the start about being on the party political broadcast. You are very much the golden boy of, of of Lib Dems really at the moment, but I always I'm always interested that in in what failures people have had and what experiences they've learned from that because obviously you said you got involved so you've seen actually when Stephen lost the election what was that like so how how failures happened to you and and what have you learned from them? Yeah, I've I've had many failures, um, a bunch of them um, came in the course of starting up my social enterprise which I've moved on from uh, now um, but I set up an organization that trained and employed ex-offenders and ex-gang members um, to repair broken smartphones to provide a positive route away from crime and towards employment um, and what we did is um, we ran pop-ups um, in lots of different um, corporates uh, in London uh, ranging from, you know, big banks to the US Embassy or Ministry of Justice even, um, where people could come down and get their phone repaired. Um, and that was our kind of shiny, um, polished model. But there were so many failures, um, you know, on, on, on the way to that, um, that, you know, there were phones that we repaired um, where, you know, smoke was coming out of them. <laughs> And we had to figure out, how do we put this right? Before the customer comes back. And, you know, some of the most humbling moments of that were where I had to take, um, you know, customer's phone to another phone repair shop to get repaired um, because we just couldn't do it. So, you know, there were some real failures there. And then there are also some just very difficult moments, which I, I, I wouldn't describe as, as failures, um, but maybe in other respects they were. And that's when we're working with you know, some of our young people who you know, maybe come out of prison um, and we're you know, trying to start afresh. And through us, um, you know, we're able to secure employment um, and we help them you know, with their mental health challenges or with housing challenges, all that kind of stuff. And they just seem to be going in a great, great direction. And then something would happen in their personal lives. Maybe, you know, one of their old gang would come back on the scene um, or they get kicked out of their house or whatever it might be. And then they relapse back into that criminality. And some of the worst phone calls that I received were um, from you know, probation officers or police officers or whoever it might be saying, you know, we've got X, Y or Z in custody um, and, 
you know, we've got to start from square one again. And that that was just heartbreaking. And you know, they felt like like real failures. And for me, there was a lot of soul searching, um, thinking, well, you know, does this thing that I've set up actually work? Because people are still slipping back into their old ways. And I mean, the key thing you've got to do is you have got to look inward rather than look outward and blame everything else. Um, you've got to see whether there's anything different that you could do. I'm a political scientist by academic background, so I have a very kind of like systematic or methodical way of like approaching many things and a scientific way of looking at different variables and what can be adjusted to um, achieve um, better results. Um, and that's what that's what we did. Um, and again, you know, it sounds kind of trite, but learning from your failures is just the best thing uh, in the world. And sometimes they those failures feel so bad that even the prospect of experiencing that feeling again alone is enough um, to get you to pull out all the stops to make sure it doesn't happen again. I think I, I might be misquoting Richard Branson here, but he said he's never failed in his life because fail is only failure if you don't learn from it or something he, he's of that regard. As long as you learn from it, then you shouldn't think of it as a failure. Yeah. It was a it was a challenge. Fail upwards is what some say as well. Like, I totally subscribe to that. Ideally, we try not to fail at all. But <laughs> um, so how you so now you've been selected? You're the you, you're a councillor. You you are, so what's your day to day? What's your weekly routine like? How do you get that work life balance right? It is tricky. It's one of the trickiest things about all of this, and I've actually grown very frustrated um, with the system, um, and I'll get to that in uh, in a minute. But I um, I work part-time um, for a, a fantastic uh, charity where I uh, head up programs that support people to set up social enterprises like the one that I set up to providing funding and training um, to help people to do that. Um, so I squeeze that into three and a half days a week and then in my other three and a half days as well as my evenings and my lunch breaks and my breakfasts and in my sleep, um, do everything else. Um, and that everything else is, you know, 99% um, politics, um, both in my role as, as a councillor, which just has to come first. That comes before my parliamentary candidacy. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot to squeeze in. Um, and those roles, and you'll know as a councillor yourself, John, even though there is a, an allowance that comes with, with being a councillor, um, they're not paid roles, you're not paid to be a councillor, you're not paid to be a parliamentary candidate. And that's not a Lib Dem specific thing. That is our system um, altogether. And, you know, I have three and a half days a week to devote to my politics. And I find that difficult. Many other people haven't found a configuration that even affords them that much time which is why i mean we, we've talked about this on the podcast and other times so many councillors and people who get in politics are of near or at retirement age and they, they, they all, all come from such wealthy backgrounds they don't have to worry about that but people like you and me who have to who, who you know balance everything else we do including charity work everything else it's incredibly time precious and that's probably our biggest challenge is actually we would love to do everything every day to do with politics but the, we have to a support our families and everything else but also you know just we, there's just not enough hours in the day yeah and it's it's really terrible for diversity there are some great people in politics now don't get me wrong but i think we can all agree that there are so many great people who aren't involved now who are scuppered um from from being so because the circumstances the practical circumstances just don't stack up um, for them um, and it's really really tough um, and it's not fair and something needs to be done about that otherwise we will only get the same kind of folks going into politics over and over again the same kind of uh, legislation and policy coming out of parliament local authorities and everything in between um, and that does not do our country our society justice um, at all we have to do something um, about that and you know it particularly affects those from working class backgrounds I you know describe myself as a working class boy a socially mobile working class boy um, and it you know doesn't do any favors you know 
uh, for those from ethnic minority backgrounds either. Um, and unfortunately, I, I am so sad and also angry about this. You know, our party has the greatest distance to go um, in terms of the big three. Um, we, John, have never, ever elected an MP of black heritage to parliament as the Liberal Democrats, as the Liberals or the SDP, um, or as the Whigs, 400 years, not one. Um, we have to do something about that. I intend to be very involved in doing something about that. Um, and, uh, and Does I that bring pressure? Does that bring pressure to you, though? I, we, I mean, we've talked, we've been on the podcast about on the on this issue, talking about how we must do better. You know how we we've got to uh, challenge ourselves to to widen our net, to widen our talent pool, because there are people, as you say, who are missing. But being so prominent as you are, being perhaps the first in history to do it, how much pre- do you feel pressure? Is that an added pressure on you? I feel. It's not quite pressure. I mean, there's something really special, actually, about the kind of hope um, that folks place and have placed in, in me, you know, maybe being one of those who can help to break that, that glass ceiling. Um, you know, when I was running uh, for council in Eastbourne, uh, it was a similar, similar position. You know, we, we've never had a council of black heritage in Eastbourne since the council was established in, you know, 1860-something. Um, and, you know, folks across the country um, from, you know, the black and Asian and minority ethnic community, um, you know, were saying, you know, you can do it and this is going to be fantastic. Um, and, yeah, part of me thought, oh, God, you know, I better win this. Um, but part of me thought, well, like, how awesome to have this, um, this additional layer of support from people of all ethnicities who want to see this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel a similar kind of way about the, um, you know, the, the potential to break a glass ceiling here as well. Where I think it can become negative um, is where uh, you become the diversity person, yeah. uh, which is something I've been... I've worked really hard to try to avoid to an extent or to make sure that, um, you know, I've diversified my political interests. So, you know, racial diversity, for example, really important to me, done a lot of work in the party um, on that. Um, But equally, I have views on, you know, the NHS and defence and justice and, and home affairs. And so I want folks to come and talk to me about that, I want to have a you know credible voice on those things, and not just be um, you know the brown guy who talks about how um, we should uh, we should all look a little bit different or be more inclusive or or whatever. So, does that give you hope? Actually, that do you think the Lib Dems are? We're, we're, it's slow, but do you think actually going for not just just not just hope for the Lib Dems, but in your campaign, the Lib Dems are getting better we are realizing you know whether that's with you or through you that actually the Lib Dems hopefully could be that difference because we have been poor at it but actually there is hope for something better yeah I think it's durable I think it's durable because fundamentally that liberalism I think is um the most accepting yeah the most accepting and is I really, really think it is a philosophy that folks can get behind. I mean, look at all of the opinion polls that have been done that said, if you thought the Lib Dems could win, would you vote for them? And, you know, consistently more than half of people in those polls say, yeah, I would. Many of those are people from ethnic minority backgrounds. What, what's really tricky is that there's a big tanker um, to turn. Um, I've been at you know family events uh, with my Nigerian side of, of the family, where you know a kind of Nigerian auntie has uh, come to me and said, uh, "Oh, so like why why aren't you Labour then? You know, if you're you know you're you're half Nigerian guy, you should you should be with Labour." Uh, and so there are lots of those kind of 
um, allegiances and stereotypes, even within the community, um, that need to be uh, unpicked. Uh, and one of the ways we do that, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, but one of the ways we do that is by demonstrating that we're a party who looks like the kind of people who we want to represent, which is everyone. Yeah. And um, if, if people haven't heard our interview uh, with Bobby Dean as well, he's from a very working class area wanting to represent Carshalton and Wallington. Again, everyone said to him, why aren't you Labour? And he said, well, this is who, this is who I am. And actually, I've been a Liberal my whole life. It's just sometimes yeah. I didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, you know, that can be hard. That can be hard to fight. Thankfully, it's not a question I'm asked very much in Eastbourne. No. Um, there isn't really a, a, a Labour um, presence. Um, but yeah, there, there is hope. But, you know, the party needs to uh, put its money where, where its mouth is on that, on that representation piece. And a lot of work is being done, you know, credit where credit's due, uh, whether it's by, you know, having a, a vice president of the party is responsible for making sure that we're engaging with ethnic minority communities, whether it is um, the racial diversity campaign set up to um, help us get more candidates of colour elected, the Lib Dem campaign for race equality as well, um, one of our internal um, associated organisations or special associated organisations. I get confused with the. With <laughs> we have so we have so many different organisations in the Lib yeah. Dems. Anyway, they're a great organisation. There's some great work um, happening. Of course, we've got um, MPs of colour um, elected, uh, which is great, and we have um, uh, diversity in, in the House of Lords as well. But not enough. Um, got to go even further. Um, and I'm yeah committed to doing what I can um, to help that process. So let's talk about the wider campaign now. So what are the big campaigns in Eastbourne that running up to the next general election? You think okay, this is what this is going to be my ticket. It's not going to be you know it, it's not going to be non-uniform days. I'm assuming you've moved on. So what is the what is the next big campaigns for for you? So top of my list is our hospital, um, the DGH District General Hospital. Uh, I was born in there. Um, my little brothers and sisters uh, were born in there. Um, I went to college next door, and my little brothers and sisters are much younger uh, than me. So I was at college when some of them were born and would pop over to the maternity ward and, uh, and go and see them. And our hospital has been subject to a number of service downgrades um, over the years. Um, but uh, this government, uh, that's Boris Johnson, and that is Caroline Ansell, our MP, um, have said uh, that Eastbourne will be one of the 40 new hospitals that were pledged at the last election. That that's many new, new wallpaper on it or something. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But what's really interesting is that when the announcement came, they were all over it. Um, but since then, um, we've seen a change in tone mm. and uh, some of the MPs, not just the Eastbourne MP, but uh, neighbouring MPs, whose constituents also uh, have an interest in this hospital. Uh, we've seen the language change from brand new hospital to state of the art hospital or refurbishment or uh, redevelopment, which is not the same as a new hospital. Um, and so I'm a member of a fantastic uh, campaign group uh, in Eastbourne, Save the DGH, that has been campaigning um, to preserve uh, and take hospitals to new heights for years and years. It's chaired by um, Liz Walk, um, whose um, nephews and sons I went to school with, as I've known her for a little while as well. Um, and uh, I've been battling... Um, to make sure that we don't let the pressure off. And I will do just that um, for as long as it takes until we uh, get that commitment um, you know, fulfilled. Um, so that is a, a number one um, issue locally. Um, something that I've been working on, actually really close to my heart locally as well, which is um, around the Royal British Legion in Eastbourne. Fantastic organisation. Um, supporting uh, veterans across our town as well as their families and um, the Eastbourne branch kind of 
suffered a, a rocky patch recently um, and I've been supporting them uh, to get through it. And I'm proud to say it. just last night, we relaunched the branch um, in Eastbourne Town Hall um, with um, a great body of people there, great new um, chairperson. Um, and this is really close to my heart. It was my, my great granddad, uh, Thomas Gittins, Flight Lieutenant Thomas Gittins is in the RAF um, during the Second World War. Um, he um, served with bravery um, and when he left uh, the, uh, the, the Royal Air Force, I mean, he suffered um, from many challenges and, you know, just mental health issues were essentially what, what happened. And the Royal British Legion is exactly the kind of organisation that would have been able to support him um, through those times. And today we still have so many um, veterans uh, who are in a similar position. Um, and so it's so important our branch is preserved as we've been doing a lot of work uh, around that. Uh, and then the third thing, because, I mean, the two things I've spoken about come from, I guess, a negative place in a way. You know, I want to stop the closure um, of, of, of the Royal British Legion branch or I want to stop the downgrading of, of, of the hospital or something positive uh, that I want to do um, is um, really lift up and inspire um, our young people um, across uh, our town. And um, I uh, announced uh, just yesterday uh, that I'm launching um, a roadshow, um, a roadshow uh, where I'm going to take, uh, I've got it on my desk, in fact, but th this old thing, this little medal I got the other day, uh, that I don't want to gather dust, um, that loads of people across town are really excited about. Um, I uh, am going on a roadshow, taking it across schools in every corner uh, of Eastbourne um, to prove um to to our young people that you know you haven't got to be rich and famous um to uh, achieve what you want to achieve um that with uh hard work uh with commitment um and if you dream big and have the support that you need uh, then anything is possible uh, in our town so i'm really excited um to be able to share eastbourne's obe um with uh, with our town. So those are some of the core things that are top of my agenda the next few months and beyond. So, I mean, they're, they're all fantastic, Josh. And I, I mean, everyone everyone at the podcast is so proud of you that you you got that OBE as well. Maybe not Richard. You know, Richard can get jealous. <laughs> but yeah, but, I, but also, I suppose one of the big things, you've got to now go and win. That thing. So what what's your... I've asked all the candidates if they had 10 times the budget that they have now, what would they spend it on? And so where are you in terms of campaigning? Obviously you're in an area that has Lib Dem strength. You know, this isn't somewhere that's come out of nowhere, but all, all, all campaigns would always like a little bit more, whether that's manpower, money, data, whatever it is. So what do you guys, what do you, if you had that magic wand and said, right, I can have an extra hundred percent of something, what would you have? Mm. Well, I think I would want to do lots more um, delivery. Um, and a reason for that is because in this last week alone, every single day, something new has happened. There's been a new scandal um, <laughs> and comment to offer. Uh, and we simply wouldn't be able to print leaflets and deliver them quick enough to catch up with the next scandal <laughs> that's about to come out. Um, so for times like these, I'd love to be able to get leaflets out to the whole constituency much more quickly. Um, kind of level, actually, that we might do during a, you know, the actual short campaign itself. Some of that uh, we kind of need now. So uh, that's one thing. Um, second, and I think everyone uh, says this, but it's really true, direct mail. Mm. Um, direct mail um, is highly effective. Uh, but it's also uh, quite costly um, to do. Um, and thirdly, uh, something that would really, really help is to be able to pay for a caseworker because I've lost count of the number of people who have emailed me to say, I've gone to our MP, I've put my case forward and I've heard nothing um, or, uh, you know, I haven't got the help that I've been looking for. Um, and those are, you know, coming in and, you know, the legacy of Stephen Lloyd as well. 
um, folks are coming to me for help. And it is my honor to do what I can um, to support that. Uh, but my goodness, we need more capacity. So those are some of the core things. Like Typical politician, Josh. I asked you for one thing, and you asked, and then you give me three. So, <laughs> well, I mean, you're right about the what's going on at the moment with the with the scandals and everything else. Not only would you struggle to get the leaflets out, the size of the leaflets that you'd need for oh everything you want to come yeah. on, and it, you'd have to have a magazine every yeah, week like for a, all these. Like an ordnance <laughs> survey map. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But you, you raise a very important point, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast that there are so many ways people can help with uh, with elections and winning etc sometimes you can donate time as in go out deliver leaflets sometimes you can uh, donate your knowledge you know whether you want to design leaflets or or do something like that but the other one is money and if you know campaigns cost money and successful campaigns have people that help run them as well generally and so if you and it doesn't matter if you donate five pounds fifty pounds five thousand pounds all of that helps put together a fighting force to go and win seats like is uh, Eastbourne. Isn't that right? That is too right. Every leaflet delivered, every door knocked on, every penny donated brings us that much closer to the change that we need here in Eastbourne and Willingdon uh, and to the change that this country so <laughs> desperately needs on a national level. Uh, it is shocking it is absolutely shocking. I'm not even going to go into it. It's going to make me angry. Everyone listening knows uh, what the issues are. Um, we, we, they need to get out. Um, and we only do that uh, by electing Liberal Democrat MPs in the Blue Wall, um, Eastbourne, uh, being a key part of that. And indeed, the place where Ed kicked off um, his, his Blue Wall tour earlier this year. And so... We, we, we are, we've asked this of every single uh, person we've had on that of on our next MP series. And do check out some of the ones. We've been Guildford, we've been Carl Sholton, we've been loads, of, and we've got loads more. We've got, you know, a couple of the northern seats as well coming up. But is there a question you think, John, why haven't you asked me about that, that I haven't asked you? Your chance, free reign. Ooh, I knew this question was coming because I've listened to all of the <laughs> other uh, pods. And the question was going to be... Um, uh, Josh, how can people help you? But you've kind of already covered it. Go on to eastbournelibdems.org.uk um, and please make a donation um, or please um, donate your time to come and help. Uh, we've got a lot of work here to do in Eastbourne and a lot of um, exciting things that can be achieved uh, for our town, uh, but also for our party. Uh, and I come back to that historic point, we've not elected an MP of Black Heritage ever. Um, this could be what changes it. And so if you're committed to that, um, I want to see a donation come uh, from, from you on, on the website. But anyway, you covered that, so I'm going to have another go. Okay, go on then. <laughs> what... Um, well, a question I like, it's a classic icebreaker question is, oh, Josh, what, what don't we know about you? Um, okay, what do we know about you, Josh? So an interesting fact, I'm actually going to tell one about my mum because I've talked enough about myself. Um, my mum's an absolute legend. Um, she's in Eastbourne as well. Um, and uh, she, uh, it was back in 1990. Five sticks appeared on Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> she? Yeah. And ev every few years, they play the repeat on, uh, on Challenge, that, that, uh, the, that games channel. Um, and from time to time, she said that she'll know that it's been on because someone in, in Tesco's or whatever. I won't do that. <laughs> it's not the security guard thinking you just, you just behave in this supermarket. We should point out, because obviously there was a story for listeners that don't know, we were in uh, the Times newspaper that uh, Conservative HQ was instructing people to listen to the Lib Dem pod to get tips on Lib Dem successes. So we obviously, I don't think there'll be as many Christmas parties at CCHQ this year. So obviously listening to the pod might be a perfect way to them to relax on their way to Christmas. So we should say hello to all the Tories. Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Hello, Conservatives. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> and I suppose finally, Josh, it's been an absolute joy, as always. You, you, you know, you've been on the podcast. You're, you're part of the podcast family. You, uh, 
we can't say again how proud we are of everything you're doing. You're really an inspiration to a lot of Lib Dems. So final thing from us is tell people where they can find you, whether that's on Twitter, online. You've already mentioned the website, but find, tell us everywhere people can find you. Yes. So website, eastbournelibdems.org.uk. If you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, uh, my handle is uh, Josh Favarindi. And if you want to drop me an email, uh, it's super easy to remember. It's Josh at josh.org.uk. So please get in touch if you feel that you can help with anything, whether it's an interesting skill that you have or something that you can donate financially or advice that you think you can offer or relatives who live in Eastbourne who you think uh, we, should, uh, we should get to know, please uh, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Josh. And I suppose to all our listeners and viewers, do go follow Josh, but also follow the podcast at, at Lib Dem Pod. We've got loads of these episodes. Come and get inspired. If you have, I suppose I'm actually, I've been so excited by this, I might edit this right today and get it on the online. So if you are watching it before the by-election in Shropshire, do go help out. Obviously, if you're down in Eastbourne or the, the South Coast, it's a long trip. I understand that. Get on the phones, help out in some ways. This is, there's been a sea change in politics this week in terms of you just feel the Tory authority is collapsing. The fact we're getting anywhere near the result. And I've been to, I've been in Shropshire twice. These are rock hard Tories that are switching directly to the Lib Dems. Something is happening. If you can't get to the by-election or you're listening and watching after by-election, get active. You know, elections, the next general election will be won by people getting active right now. So, but thank you so much, Josh. You, you're an absolute legend to have on the podcast. Well, I, I am going to make it down to Eastbourne. I don't know when, but I will promise, given that I'm guaranteed son, just about is what you've said, um, I will absolutely make it. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Thanks for having me, John. And I totally agree with everything you said about North Shropshire. This is the beginning of the end of this government um, and folks should get involved in that i certainly will be thank you very much josh thank you for listening everyone bye yeah